Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. In this episode of the Market Dominance Guys, Chris Beal and Susan Finch discuss their experience using ChatGPT to write a book based on their podcast and the benefits of using AI to create content. They delve into the limitless possibilities of machine learning, natural language processing, and computer vision, and how they are transforming various industries. Chris and Susan also share their insights on the process and the excitement of seeing the AI learn and improve. They talk about how ChatGPT can generate various versions of a prompt and the different approaches they took to refine their request for better results. They also reflect on the human-like interactions they had with ChatGPT and the ELISA effect that makes people treat the AI as if it were a person. Ultimately, they highlight the efficiency and creativity that AI can bring to content creation and the potential for using ChatGPT to write more books in the future. Tune in to hear their fascinating discussion on this intersection of AI and writing. In this episode of Market Dominance, guys, how ChatGPT is writing a book, the AI and human collaboration. So, Susan, Susan, you and I did something remarkable that started, I believe, with your own work using ChatGPT in a podcasting setting, right? A podcasting right. setting. About a week, 10 days ago, something like that, you were doing some experimentation. I was getting chat GPT'd up by various people, including some very interesting people at my wife's company where she works, a little company called Microsoft, seems to be very interested in this area. And it occurred to me, based on your work, that we could maybe take the Market Dominance Guys podcast and turn it into a book written by ChatGPT. But first, how about how did you get started with this? What stimulated you to go all AI? Didn't you used to own an art gallery or something like that? People who own <laughs> art galleries don't go all AI on us like this. That's for crazy techie people and guys like Austin and me. So what's up? When Austin first brought up ChatGPT to me, he said, well, try this, try that. And I love the idea of creating on the fly and to challenge it and to ask variations of the same questions to see what the difference would be. It was like a game and a creativity experiment at the same time. So I loved that. And I was really surprised though at how much of a variation you could get just by tweaking a couple of phrases or as you and I experimented over the weekend by lumping the aspects of the query properly. I am known to have misplaced modifiers in my writing and sometimes has to be edited. (laughs) And so my queries were the same. And when I tightened it up, the results were so different and so much more enjoyable. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I love to create. I have to create every day or I am bored and miserable. So every day I have to create something and this gives me an outlet and saves me some time for the grunt work. And then I can go back and refine it how I want. Well, it's really something. So what did you apply it to first? Clearly not market dominance, guys. You were doing something with another podcast, right? I was doing something for Asher Sales Sense because John Asher interviewed Judy Schramm. And Judy Schramm was talking about ChatGPT 
and the ways that it could be used for marketers or some of the ways I should say, there's no way it could be all the ways. And she had some great ideas though, on how to apply it to your LinkedIn profile and how to define the audiences. Who do you want this to appeal to? Who is the goal? And so I thought, I'm gonna start playing with my own. So I started to do that right there. And because in the spirit of the topic, I had ChatGPT also come up from the transcript from that episode with the introduction and variations of the title until we found one that we liked. Wow, that's really cool. So what are the things that so far have been easy? And what are the things that have been hard? And what are the things that have been maddening? And then what are the (laughs) things that you think, oh, now that I know this, I'll do that? The maddening part were the limitations because for me, I like to go fast. And so if I have a transcript in front of me, I don't want to have to do it in two parts. And if I put the whole transcript in there, chat GPT chokes. Mm-hmm. So that too much stuff. And I can appreciate that there has to be a limit somewhere. And I have to learn how to refine my request because I put too many parameters in there. And then I have to go back and say, now rewrite it again, because you didn't listen. I said to do it between 500 and 700 words. Now do that part because it was ignoring that. So those were the frustrations. They weren't huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that thing. Did you find yourself experiencing? There's two variants of it. So there's a program called Eliza many years ago. I'll use it as my base. Many, many years ago, back in, I think it was written in the, I don't know, 50s or 60s. And Eliza was an experiment to see how people responded to text interactions, chat interactions. I know this sounds weird that it was, what is that now, 50, 60 years ago? Right. But many young people actually are unaware that the the earth actually is older than 100 years. (laughs) I fair amount. Not everybody agrees with this. Some people think the earth is flat and is made out of a plate and, and, you know, elephants stand at the edge of it to keep us from falling off. But it turns out even back in the 50s, people were thinking a lot about this stuff. And computers, they were big and they were slow, but they weren't as slow as a person, right? And I've always said computers go fast and don't get bored. People go slow and do get bored. So we're perfect companions for each other. We can help each other out as long as the people do all the judgment and the computers do all the fast stuff. But then now you have the question as well, what is fast about chat GPT? It connects dots statistically, lots and lots and lots of dots. Right. And it makes us think with our brains because we're used to thinking somebody else is a human, that we're talking to a human. And Eliza did this. I think Eliza consisted of less than 100 lines of code. It simulated a Rogerian non-directive therapist, which oddly enough was a topic I studied for reasons that none of us will ever understand in high school. And I was very interested in the work of Carl Rogers and the kind of therapy that he did called non-directive therapy, where the therapist doesn't direct the session, right? Now here we are with ChatGPT, we're in sessions. What happened with Eliza is people just bought into it. I mean, it was less than 100 lines of code, and people would spill their guts to Eliza. Interesting. They, Eliza became their best friend, cared about them, et cetera, et cetera, all of which had to be coming from, not from Eliza, because Eliza was 100 lines of code, right? So it's really interesting. I call it the Eliza effect, right? Named after Eliza Doolittle from- from yeah, from Pygmalion. Yeah. So did you experience that ever that you got frustrated with or spoke aloud to chat GPT while you were using it in a way that made you think, 
I'm kind of treating this like a person. Even my queries treat chat GPT like a person. And it's just a habit I have. I'm somebody though, who, if I belch in an empty room, I still say, excuse me. So it's just a manners thing for me. I'm always saying please and thank you. Praising ChatGPT because to me, we're part of that learning process. So when it's done right, I want to make sure, yes, that was great. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm overly polite a lot of times. A lot of times I'm not, but most <laughs> you've seen that. But sometimes I've just found it's easier for me to do it that way because I feel that we are part of this learning experience. And at some point, humans are going to be looking at this analysis. And I want to praise that and be kind about that because I also want ChatGPT to learn to be kind. Ah, and we imagine, you imagine, because I imagine the same thing, that these interactions are helping ChatGPT learn to be a better ChatGPT. Yes. <laughs> it's inevitable for me. I found with Eliza, I did the same thing. I was introduced to it in 1983 at Bell Labs. And I found myself just playing with it and then going, oh my God, I'm actually telling it stuff, right? Yeah. It knows me, it knows me, which is pretty funny. And I found myself with ChatGPT doing the same thing, saying, so for instance, at one point I said that my prompt was something like, based on the following summary of an episode of Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank, Chris Beale, then I'd ask the question, right? Like, what are the five most important things that you must do in a cold call? Question mark. And then I would put the summary because you okay. could you'd had ChatGPT summarize the transcript of parts of episodes and then put them together for me. And it started coming back with just titles after a while. Like, kind of like, you know, I'm tired of doing this for you, Chris. You know, <laughs> 17 times in a row, I get some really cool output. And then I, I'm copying and pasting it into this Word doc so that ChatGPT can write this book we're writing together, you and Corey, who isn't even here. And he's somehow doing it. Corey's gone beyond AI. He's like AI as in absent intelligence AI. <laughs> That he's that A, right? Corey, you're not even here. And and it's like it, it got bored with me and just started spitting out a title to see if that was enough. And I'd say, good title. However, <laughs> would you? And then it would give me more. I'd say, that's very interesting. But what I'm really interested in, and I'd tell it more, and then I'd give more. I was like, it didn't used to do this earlier right. chat. It didn't do this. It's like it's become a slightly it's like it's jaded. It's tired of this content. It doesn't want to keep repeating itself. I don't know, but I don't know. That's going on inside of me. And I thought that was really interesting. Now, are you starting a separate chat for each episode? No, I'm putting them all one after another after another because I want to generate a, you know, in my imagination, right? I have all the documentation that has been released for developers because I told open AI that we're building a product. And I am probably building seven products or something like that, right? right? And I thought it'd be fun to do a book first as a warm-up exercise and a demo. Like, hey, plus Market Dominance Guys was supposed to be a book. I know. And none of us have gotten around to getting it done. Exactly. So this shows off the efficiency that you were talking about. It's really efficient. We just got a book written on Market Dominance, over 25 episodes, which we anticipated 25 episodes 
would squeeze the toothpaste too dry. Turned out not to be the case, but it's a lot of it is there and you see repetitions. And then 25 prompts and responses from ChatGPT. It was a simple idea for a book, right? You have the kind of the heavy stuff in the back and then the Q&A in the front and then have it write an intro and have it do all the titles and have Dolly, ChatGPT's artistic friend, give us a book cover, at least their cover art. And then we have a book and then let's put it up on Amazon and have a Kindle book and have a hardcover and and have a paperback and then give them as gifts to people and stuff like that. So that was the idea. So I said, I want to keep them all together because I want to see, can I ask questions without asking about a given episode anymore? And will it go back through all of the stuff? This was five hours on Sunday that I was doing this. And the answer turned out to be actually, yes. It turns out, and I have an example right here, if I can find it, here we go, where I asked the following. I said, please write a 5,000 word introduction to the book, quote, market dominance, colon, a conversation with chat GPT, end quote, based on all the summaries and prompts in this chat so far. And chat GPT answers thus, I'm sorry, but as a language model AI, I am not able to produce a 5,000 word introduction to this book, et cetera, based on the summaries and prompts in this chat. However, I can provide a summary of the key points discussed in the Market Dominance Guys podcast that could be used to form the basis of an introduction to a book on market dominance. Now, is that cool or what? That is very cool because it wasn't just can't do it. Try this instead. Exactly. And then it went ahead and just did it. I didn't even have to ask. And then it just jumped in. Market Dominance Guys podcast is hosted by Chris Beal and Corey Frank and focuses on the importance of market dominance in today's business world. The hosts discuss various topics related to sales, marketing, and business, and provide insights into how companies can achieve market dominance. One of the key topics discussed in the podcast is the evolution of sales and how it has changed with the advent of technology. The hosts explain that modern B2B buyers demand real, true, and timely information from salespeople, and that salespeople must focus on building trust and sincerity in their interactions with buyers to be successful. Susan, that's like... it's creepily good. <laughs> but that is from those summaries. I mean, I'm hearing familiar phrases and yes, it it went back over the whole thing. Yep. And I didn't know that anyway, I was hoping that we were building a corpus. I didn't know we were doing it. Get this next paragraph. As we are going to use this as the introduction. Our rule for anybody gets this book, the rule is chat GPT had to write every word in the book except the prompts. And that was because I didn't want to spend a week on a science project to figure out how to get it to write the prompts, even though had I not been such a wimp, I probably would have had that done in 15 minutes on Saturday morning. So anyway, that was the rule. So here's the intro. So it did write the intro, just not so long. Here's what it says. Another important topic discussed in this podcast is the role of tension in a sales conversation. The hosts explain that tension is essential in a sales conversation as it helps to build trust and establish a relationship with the buyer. Salespeople should address the buyer's fears, build curiosity, and elicit a commitment to attend a discovery call during the cold call process. Holy moly, Susan, that's all Corey and I have been trying to say for 165 episodes. 
Yes. Is that something? That's wonderful. That's perfect. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that I could just ask that question and it picked the good stuff. I love this paragraph. The podcast also touches on the comparison of sales to tennis and explains how the player who is just 1% better will almost always win in tennis. The hosts explain that this comparison can be applied to sales as the salesperson who is 1% better will also win as they will dominate the market. Whoa. What can I say? So the beauty of it though, is you just gave an example where it brought in specifics that are unique to you and Corey. They're unique, your analogies, your comparisons, some of the things you say are very memorable. And I would actually love to see the next time I do an experiment with your podcast is to say, please include a couple of quotes, a couple of metaphors, because those are so memorable and it can do it. Yeah. And I, I never got on to asking for quotes or metaphors. That's what's so cool about this, right? Here we are, you and I, both of the age of, I think, 30, maybe 35. Kind of and how you think about it. And so we went through the browser wars and the browser wars were really about building applications. The idea was there are these things called websites. And then somebody said, yeah, but what if they did something, right? Because websites were originally kind of like fancy billboards or something. It's like, brochure, right. Look at a brochure. And then it was like, oh, you know, and I was a pioneer in this area of, of applications, did an application in 1990. What was it? I think six or seven that was um, on top of, you know, a browser. And it won these industry week technology, the year awards. Actually, no, it was 95. That, it, that was a long time ago for those of you who can count and subtract. And what was exciting about those times was we didn't know what the limits were. And I was a wimp. So I actually had my, my team split into two. One built our application in Java, which is really just a modern version of a traditional programming language. It's real programming. It's got ifs and thens and else's and mm-hmm. loops, all that crap, right? And that was the, the, like, the cool stuff that was going to work. And then I had another person who's who was pissed off at me probably until his untimely passing, who I asked to do it in HTML, which seemed primitive and weird and clunky and horrible because it wasn't interactive. So we made it interactive by building a program in C, actually, that spit out HTML on the fly. This was back before you could buy that, right? This is one year we were rolling around, but not smoking them. And... This reminds me of that. Like we're at that, we're in the year 1996 with regard oh, to. I remember the programming web. then. Yes. Right when when it seemed really exciting, but you didn't really know what you could do with it, and you kept going, "Whoa, that's so." We did this right, and then six months later, that would be like below table stakes and come for free in the browser, and I think that's where we are. And this thing called prompt engineering, which is what you've been doing and I've been doing this weekend and for you a little bit longer, where you craft the prompts because they aren't questions, they're prompts. And you note the response from ChatGPT. And then you try to make the prompt something that's going to elicit the response that's more useful. So you shape the prompt. Mm -hmm. And I was taught this phrase by Eduardo Kastner at 
at Microsoft. He said, don't ever describe what you do. It's called prompt engineering. Just say prompt engineering. He's right. I didn't know what it meant until we did it all weekend. So I think we're at that stage, but I could be wrong. I mean, what do you think? You've been around a while. Does this feel like that again? It does. And I'm glad you brought up 1996 because it takes me back to before BMW was one of the first to have a build your car online thing. And the company I worked for worked for a dealership and we built that. And and what it became, and this feels like that. This feels like building utility bills online. This feels like the beginning of those things that just took off. And I see the possibilities as endless, but we need to be trained a little bit better how to elicit what we're looking for without having to do it 17 times, without having to say, oh, we'll try this, we'll try that. And we get to know those nuances and the phraseology to save the time and to allow ChatGPT to drill it down to exactly what we're looking for. That's just one of the tools that's out there, but this is right now the most powerful tool, the most flexible and the most trainable tool. I was doing all your summaries as separate prompts because I didn't want to lose track as I'm scrolling up and down and things. And for you to put it all into one to allow that consideration. Well, let me correct you there. I actually put them in a separate prompts within prompts because I don't know how to do this very well. So I just did my question and then I do a shift enter in order to stay in the same box. And then I copy the the summary that you provided to me that I go pick up with copy paste. So it's a very primitive process. But what's interesting is ChatGPT put it all together in a thing it calls a chat. Mm-hmm. And that goes on and on and on and on. That's what I mean. I yes. Start another one. And now it'll answer questions about all this stuff. Like, yeah, I've been listening to market dominance guys since I was a little chatbot. <laughs> this stuff is like, you know, but it also combines it with what I'll call conventional. Because I think what Corey and I talk about is statistically unconventional. And we're not saying do it like the other folks. A lot of the pieces are the same, you know, conversations and stuff. But we're saying leave value aside go from fear to trust. Well, that's unusual. But ChatGPT goes, yeah, I got that. But then I'm going to put in some conventional stuff that I know about too, when I'm not so sure. And it's fascinating that it goes back and does this. And this was my dream about it. It's like, oh, I don't have to build all the knowledge. The knowledge is built on top of its knowledge and the model that I'm providing or you and I together are providing, which was provided by Corey and myself and then guests and you and Austin's editing and all this stuff has come together. What episode are we on now? 160. 168 or something. Yeah. This, we, it's never supposed to be a podcast and here it is, you know, doing its thing. That big collaboration that went on for three years with hundreds and hundreds of hours of people talking is now boiled down like maple syrup, right, into this concentrated thing that is now inside this model. Now what bugs me is you got one model out of doing what you did with the transcripts, the the chunked transcripts, because they were too big to put in its hole. I did mine based on the summaries of those transcripts, and I don't know how to bring them together, but what if in the background, what if in the background... Chat GPT is learning about market dominance, guys. And now some naive third party can come in and ask a question. Because remember when we asked about Corey and Chris before, it was like, I never heard of these guys. Right. Right. Because my data collection ended in 2021. And it actually said, 
when I asked about market dominance guys that said, oh, that's Nathan Lotka's podcast. <laughs> Nathan, I love you like a brother, man, but not yours. It's not your podcast, but you're better known than I am because you're out there and I'm not. So do you think it's learned back there behind the scenes or is it just learned in your model and in my model? Or have we actually been helping each other? I mean, isn't that what's crazy about this is that the learning, I mean, we've agreed to make this information as we're interacting with ChatGPT that it gets to go into whatever it wants, right? We're not, we're not doing it saying, no, no, it's just ours. And I'm wondering though, too, should we remind ChatGPT, please save all this information you've learned about market dominance, guys, for anybody to access? That would be really interesting. I'll do that right now. Here, let me, let me do that. I'm going to say that was fantastic. Thank you. Uh, can you save? We'll see if I can type. I always have a hard time when my keyboard's a little high. Save all these prompts and responses about market dominance, guys, in your model of the world? Let's see what it says. It's generating. Yes. Yes, I am designed to retain information from all interactions. So all the information and responses shared in this chat will be stored in my model of the world and can be used to respond to future related queries. And now we just figured out why this freaks Google out so bad. <laughs> It's a vacuum cleaner for knowledge in the form of these interactions. And now we can test that. It's like, okay, so it's like, is it good for Market Dominance Guys podcast to be better known to chat GPT? You bet. Is it good for Connect and Sell to be better known to chat GPT through this kind of interaction? You bet. As for Branch 49, they have so much business. They don't need any help. <laughs> We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. And we're back. How do we publish this book on Amazon? I'm going to ask ChatGPT. And guess what? It gave me step-by-step -step directions and answered my questions where I didn't get it. So now I'm thinking, I think I missed the whole idea, which is I should have asked ChatGPT how to interact with ChatGPT. Like, hey, can you write your own prompts? I never asked it because I'm not in that headspace yet. No, I'm not there yet either. But I thought of another thing. <clears throat> if we wanted to learn about Connect and Sell from all your summaries, ask ChatGPT what it has learned about Connect and Sell. Oh, let's ask it right now. Okay. So what have you learned about Connect and Sell 
from the Market Dominance Guys podcast episodes. Oh, this is so good. That is such a good one. Okay. From the Market Dominance Guys podcast episodes, I've learned that Connect and Sell is a tool that can be used by sales reps to improve their follow-up process in sales. According to Chris Beal, Many sales reps believe that manual follow-ups are more effective than using a tool like Connect and Sell, but there are several drawbacks to manual follow-ups, including the time it takes to prepare, the fact that preparation may not result in a live conversation, and the fact that the rep may not be ready for the live conversation when it finally happens. On the other hand, using a tool like Connect and Sell is faster and allows reps to talk to more people per day, which is crucial for searching for potential customers who might have a problem that the company's solution can solve. Chris believes that the choice between manual follow-ups and using a tool like Connect and Sell is a trade-off that each rep has to make explicitly based on the benefits and drawbacks of each approach. How about that? That's pretty cool. This is fascinating. How do you feel about this book project? I mean, I, I came up with it, it went on Friday, I think. That's Friday, the, what is today? Today is Monday, the 13th of February, 2023. I had this crazy idea. I think it was Friday. Was it Friday? It was Friday. Or was it Saturday? No, it was Friday. Friday. I went to Helen and I said, Helen, I got this crazy idea. And she said, go, do. Okay. So we started working on it on Friday. The book is in a, I'll call it a weirdly done state. That is, right. it's roughly 100 pages. It's got 25 episodes. It's got 25 prompts and responses. It has a cover. It has a title. Everything is titled. It has links to the podcast episodes. It needs some QR codes for the physical book. It needs a table of contents. I don't know how to get, I, I think actually Word will write one of those for Word us. Word will write it for you. It needs font work and stuff like that because it is as ugly as sin. But that's pretty remarkable for two days. Right. Uh, shocking, actually. What do you think about this process? Like, how are you going to use it for other projects? I'm thinking about it. And yes, in a way, it's been two days. But you and I have kept track of every element of the podcast, from transcripts to summaries to everything, the entire time. So we were fortunate that for us, it was quick to be able to pull some of this stuff together because we had the repository of all of it that helped it help it helped it a lot it saved a lot of time i love the idea though i mean we watch friends that we know produce ebooks all the time and small books and oh, i'm publishing other books 50 pages of some advice and stuff but to be able to give something meaty like this to have that option for people we know that books are a calling card books open doors for you but to have something you can put in somebody's hand that's very current, that isn't things you've been researching for years and years. Like right now, this is current. Right now, it needs to be done now yeah. because there will be imitators. There will be people inspired by what you've just done, what we've done to continue this. But I love the idea and the process was a blast for me. I told you, I need to be creating all the time. So it's a lot of fun and I'm not an illustrator. I'm a graphic designer, but I'm not an illustrator. So to get that little help too from Dolly was wonderful. And yeah. you're being able to m massage the prompt for what it gave us. We were both kind of sitting there messing with it and it wasn't quite there. But again, with my misplaced modifiers, you were able to hone it in and get our two characters, our three characters for the cover. Yeah, I got super specific. It was like, I want one person like this, one person like this, a futuristic robot 
sitting at a table. I want it to be a six by nine cover. I want it in black, white, and red. I want it in the style of a minimalist Madison Avenue advertisement. Yep. Because I figured those kind of ideas would be in there, right? I mean, you I was thinking I, Mad Men too, but I could well, not. I almost asked for Mad Men, and then I thought yep. I was down to eleven prompts left with Dolly before I'd have to wait till March eleventh, my son's birthday, to get more Dolly. I think that might still be true, even though I upgraded to Plus. I'm hoping Microsoft will save me because they're really being nice to us right now. <laughs> but it was so interesting because I'm not a graphic artist of any kind. I don't think I have much of an eye for stuff, but I've been trained. It's interesting. I've been trained in art, art history, and I'm, I'm like a colorblind person who's coming to advise you on the painting of your house. Because when we were in Shetland and we we're in a yarn store and you're supposed to know that these colors are cool and these are warm, means nothing to me. But I could point at them with my phone, take a picture of them, go to black and white mode, to right. noir mode, and I could see which ones were warm and which ones were cool. I'm that kind of idiot, right? That's the level of idiocy. But I could look at this thing and go, that is book cover stuff. I, my recent experience with Helen's book was helpful. Black, red, and white, where the accented stuff is red, right. the big stuff is black, and negative space is used in order to convey the other message, right? When people see the cover, they'll get this. The negative space among the people's legs and the robot's legs under the table is really interesting. It's interesting shapes, and it kind of conveys the message like a puzzle, like pieces coming together. So that spoke to me. And when I, as soon as I saw it, I said, this is the one. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like I created anything, but I kind of did. You were the art director. I mean, Tom's an art director, my husband. So he knows how to direct and to give the word pictures and somebody else can execute it. And you gave the word picture. You gave the elements that needed to be brought together. And that's a skill in itself. We talk about the engineering of the prompts. That's a lot of it is being able to really see what those goals are and knowing how to articulate it. So it isn't for the everyday person always to get a great goal that get a great result that people will enjoy, learn from, read from, be inspired by, get what you're trying to say. You still have to know how to ask. Yeah. And you got to curate the results too. Yes. Even though 100% of the words other than the prompts in this book, market dominance guys, a conversation with chat GPT are chat GPT's words not yours and not mine. Right. The words came out of Market Dominance Guy's episodes plus its own words that it threw in. The prompts came from me. And the curation that's hidden, you can't see it, is a culling process. Because some of the responses were like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And so right. I just didn't include them. Sometimes also, by the way, I put so much specificity in the preamble to the prompt that I cut that part out and just use the second half of the prompt. Unless you have this corpus already put together, this model put together, you wouldn't get the same answer, which is fine. It's like right. you wake up in the middle of the night and I might tell you something different about whether I'm hungry. It's just <laughs> the way it is. Everything changes over time. But there's an explicit process of, I'll call it crafting of the prompts. There's a learning process, a co-learning process where we learn I learned from how ChatGPT responded. So I crafted different kinds of prompts. Mm -hmm. 
Delhi especially, because I mean, I looked at that stuff and went, holy moly, that's like, <laughs> and I was down to 11 of them, I'm panicking. And it's like, oh, that's the one, stop, 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 get it, get it. But there's also on the Dali side, there are four times whatever it is, 20, 80 images that I rejected. So you only get to see curation, but artists work like that too. And I've watched yes. artists work. There's this continuous curation process that's going on where, and inventors work like this too. As you know, I hold a boatload of patents for some reason. And what you see in those, whatever, 22 patents I have is the tips of many, many icebergs under the water is all the crap that I threw away. So I think curation is a big part of it. And having an eye and a feel and the emotional set to curate, to be ruthless, but engaged. So I think this prompt engineering thing, which when Eduardo Kastner said to me, this is a thing, says, don't use any other phrase. I was, I'm really indebted to him for that. He turned with me. He made it very, very clear last week. Don't say this any other way. I'm now realizing, you know, website design was a big thing. Prompt engineering is the big thing now. It is. And you need to learn it. If you want to be relevant for the next 10 to 20 years, you better either learn prompt engineering or learn how to appreciate it. I agree. Or learn how to find somebody else and recognize that they know how to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I've encouraged at least one of my kids to become a prompt engineer. I think that it's a true deep skill. And I think on your resume, it's going to be very meaningful. I do too. And that was my big lesson over the weekend. It's like, wow, we can make a book in two days. Two, the book is pretty substantial. Three, occasionally chat GPT gives me insights about my own stuff or Corey's stuff or whatever that I was unaware of. But four, the big lesson is, this thing is for real and prompt engineering is what you need to learn in order to get a lot out of it. And my recommendation to anybody in this audience is you may think that you're a CEO like me or like Susan or that you're a salesperson or you're a whatever. This, this is something to delve into and get dirty and find out where its edges are and your edges are, because I think you'll be shocked and gratified and relevant. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.